We come to celebrate as that moment today. He is risen, and we welcome you to Greenville Oaks. And if you're a guest with us, I want to catch you up a little bit on what we've been through the last couple of weeks. Our been in a three-week series called The Weekend, where we've looked at Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of that weekend nearly 2,000 years ago that changed the world. We talked about Friday a couple of weeks ago that, that Jesus died on a cross, and what he did was he, he revealed the powers for what they were, the Jewish leaders of the time, the Roman Empire, that he showed that sacrificial love is the most powerful force in the world. And we've given our lives to that same force, that Friday event, but also Saturday, this period of waiting. We know what waiting is like, don't we? I mean, whether it's waiting on, in line or in traffic, or whether it's waiting on a diagnosis that we know is coming the next week, we know what it is to wait, and to wait with expectation about what will God do. And, and, and then today is Easter Sunday. We're talking about Sunday and the resurrection and why this changed the world in such a powerful way. But this day, Sunday, changes the way we look at Friday and Saturday, doesn't it? Because for those that were there on Saturday, they, they were coming to to prepare the body that Sunday morning, weren't they? They weren't coming with an expectation that that body would be raised from the dead. But what they found surprised them, and it's changed the world ever since. Let's pray as we open uh, God's word this morning, hear a, a message of good news. God, pray today in the midst of, uh, of all that's going on in our lives, I don't think it's an accident that we're here today, God, to hear a message uh, from you about resurrection that's so needed in our lives. God, my prayer today is that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts, in our lives, that we might live lives of resurrection as we leave today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As I was writing this sermon, uh, I was thinking about the different people who would be here this morning. I thought about some of you who've grown up with this story about the death, burial, and resurrection all of your lives. you you grew up in church, you grew up uh, knowing this story and committing your life to it, and it's come as an easy story to you. It's something you've never really struggled or doubted. Uh, and so I want to welcome you here if that's your place this morning. But others of you, you've come maybe more recently to the story, maybe back to this story. You've been revived in a, a knowledge and understanding of Jesus and his impact in your life, and you're finding new life in the story of Jesus. And if that's where you are today, I want to welcome you, and we're so glad that you're here, but I also know there are others who, who, uh, who, who are struggling to believe a story about resurrection. And, and, and that's understandable because it's not every day you see a resurrection, right? You can see a lot of other things because you can touch it and you can sense it and you, you can tell those stories, but this is such an odd story, isn't it? I want you to know we're, we're glad that you're here if today you're in that place of doubt. In fact, there were followers of Jesus after the resurrection who saw him, and at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it says... Uh, they were all around him and some doubted, which I think is a fascinating line, right? They see the resurrected Jesus behind, before them, and yet they still struggle with faith in that moment. And I think, man, if I saw the resurrected Lord, I would never doubt. But that is not even the case with Jesus' closest followers who are there. There's something about us that struggles to believe these stories. So today what I want to do is I want to share with you some reasons why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, why I've committed my life to this. And my hope is, for those of you who are struggling or maybe need reinforcement this morning about why you've put your hope in Jesus, I think there are good reasons to do so. I want to look first this morning from a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible, feel free to open there, or if you've got your phone, maybe an app that has your Bible on it, feel free to pull that up. It'll also be on the screen here behind me. 
1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and it's obvious that some are struggling to believe in the resurrection just a few years after Jesus has passed. Paul writes to them, and he gives them reasons for this hope in the resurrection. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. The foundation of the Christian faith is not a book. The foundation of the Christian faith is an event that we proclaim happened. For 250 years, the early church didn't have this book, the Bible. The New Testament wasn't around in a form that they could read, or there may be letters that were passed around to their church, but they didn't have this. What they had was a story that had been passed on, that people had witnessed, an event that changed the world forever. I think it's really important for us to understand because sometimes we think that all of the life is in this book, but even in the Gospel of John, it says you look to the Scriptures thinking that here's where you'll find life, but life is found in Jesus. In the Son of God, the Word of God. Now this scripture obviously tells the story. It's inspired fully by God. and That's where we go to find this story. But it's Jesus that it points to. This morning what I want to do is I want to talk about that event. And I want to tell you again two reasons why I believe the resurrection happened. My hope is this will fill you with greater faith. What's interesting is we talk about people as people of faith when they believe in Jesus. That's actually not true at all. See, we're all people of faith. Whether you're a believer in God or not, we all take leaps of faith. Like if I were to try to make a case this morning, as compelling a a case as I could, to say Jesus was who he said he was and he was raised from the dead, I could make that case, but I'm still leaping in some ways because faith is the assurance of things not seen. The same is true for anyone who would say God is not real. They're making a leap of faith based on certain understandings and facts that they see. But we're all people of faith. I choose to lead into the resurrection, here's why. The first reason is this. I believe in the resurrection because something happened. I believe in the resurrection because something happened. And, and history is on my side with this. Something happened in the first half of the first century AD that changed many things in our world. One of those things is the Jewish church. You know, prior to the first century, there's hopes of a Messiah coming. And what we see after the first uh, half of the first century is this church that meets in synagogues that, that Jesus shows up to, right? That it becomes split into different groups. And some choose to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and others struggle to believe that kind of thing. But what we see in the first century is, a, is an undeniable fact that this shift happens to this group of people that are known as the Jews. And it's gathered around a difference between their belief and what happened in 33 A.D. We also see a shift in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire shifts in a major way following this. They have to account for the the empty tomb that's there. But it's not just that. In the years that follow, there's this group of Christians 
starts with about 500 that Jesus appears to. And following that, this group grows and it grows. It grows to 3,000 Pentecost that are baptized. And on and on it goes. By 250 or 300 AD, there's, over, there's millions of people now who are following the name of Jesus. Unprecedented. In the Roman Empire, actually there's an emperor named Constantine who's so convinced by the growth of Christianity, the way they take care of those who need it most, that he actually converts to Christianity and becomes the, the, the main prevailing way that, that, that the empire begins to worship is the worship of God. Now, it takes some, some directions that it may not should have after that in some ways, but, but what we see is this shift where the empire itself begins to endorse what it had once persecuted. The Roman Empire was forever changed by some event that happened in the first half of the first century A.D., There also was no Christian church prior to that. And following that time period, all of a sudden you have this group of followers that's growing and growing. Something happened in the first century that changed the course of many things in our world. I believe there was an empty tomb, and history talks about that. Now, in in the book of Acts, the story of the early church, the preaching about what they preach is not about a belief that they have. Christianity is not centered on a, a set of beliefs. There are beliefs that Christians hold. But Christianity is set on an event that happened, the resurrection of Jesus. And these early Christians, they testify to that event all throughout the book of Acts. These are people who saw Jesus, knew he had died, and afterwards they tell the story of the resurrection that occurs. Now I want you to think about this because the the disciples have very little to gain by making up a story about the resurrection. They actually have everything to lose. Because what ends up happening is they end up sacrificing their lives for the story. Now, some of you are probably conspiracy theorists out there, which is great fun to talk about, right? I mean, the JFK assassination, who was it and what, who was behind it, right? Some of you, even the moon landing, you're like, I'm still holding out. That was, was Hollywood, right? Some of you are conspiracy theorists, but how many of you would be willing to sacrifice your life on behalf of one of those theories? Probably very few of us. Maybe a few on the moon landing if you're out there, right? The truth is about this, that the disciples, 11 out of the 12 of them end up dying a sacrificial martyr death because of their belief in an event they knew happened. They saw Jesus rise from the tomb. They saw the resurrection that was there, and they believed it to be true, and it changed everything. I believe in the resurrection because something happened. I could go on and on about what changed in our world, but I want to spend more time this morning on the second reason I believe in the resurrection. The second reason I believe in the resurrection is because death and resurrection was not a new idea in the first century. Death and resurrection has been the rhythm of creation since the very beginning of time. I want you to think about it this way. There there have been two great revolutions in world history that have changed everything for humans. You probably wouldn't guess what they are. The first of those was the revolution of farming, which doesn't sound like that big of a revolution, right? But think about this. Before farming occurred, there were all, people were only hunter-gatherers. What they had to do was they had to go out and find enough food to survive. There was no place that was home because as soon as they ran out of food in a certain area, they'd have to go somewhere else. Wherever the food was, they went. But all of a sudden, there was some man or woman, we don't know the name of this person, who decided, you know what, what if we took one of these seeds and we were to dig a hole in the ground and we were to bury it and see what happened? Somebody had to have that initial idea, and it changed the world. Now, imagine what that's like. You have this idea. You're putting yourself out there. You dig a hole. You bury it. You're hoping the right conditions happen. Something's going to happen. Imagine the ridicule this person would, ha- would undergo for months, right? Nothing's happening under the soil. What are, what are you talking about? You, just, you got rid of some edible food we could have eaten around here, right? 
But all of a sudden, under the right conditions, there was this kind of sprout that came up out of the ground, right? Beginnings of a tree, perhaps. And all of a sudden, it changed the world. It revolutionized the world because now there could be such a thing as a house and a home that stayed in one place, right? And you could grow crops in the same area. You could till the soil. You could, you could then build a village around you. You could build a city with a wall that would protect itself from invaders. And then with an empire came uh, people who would design new things and creativity could be unleashed. None of that could happen as you're just trying to find food, just trying to exist, right? But now that you've got a city because of farming that's been done, it's a revolutionary that, re- revolution that's changed the world. We wouldn't have an iPhone if it weren't for that person. Because someone had this idea, if we just planted a seed and we buried it in the ground, then it might just bloom to something else. And what is this? It's the cycle in creation that God established in the world of death and resurrection. It was so long ago, we no longer know this genius and who, who he or she was. And it seems worthless. Why would you throw away something that you could consume for some kind of nutritional value? But, but what did it become? All of a sudden, one seed becomes the opportunity for many seeds. Human beings would no longer have to live day to day. This revolution changed the world. Now, the second revolution was something like it. It was the cycle of death and resurrection. But we know the name of the person who lived and underwent this. It was Jesus. Jesus revolutionized the world with this idea that I'm going to submit myself to death and God the Father is going to raise me to new life. Now, Lazarus had had that happen, but Lazarus was going to die again. This is a whole new thing in human history. And it's the cycle of resurrection in both. All human civilization has been built on this observation of death and resurrection. It's not a command, it's just the way things are. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 12, verse 24, about planting and the whole farming revolution. Listen to this. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So these are the revolutions that have changed the world. And think about this. It happens all throughout creation, doesn't it? It's not just seeds, the plants that come forth. Um, think of what you're going to eat a little bit later today. And some of you are hungry. We're getting closer to lunch, right? You've got a whole feast prepared for you. I won't keep you too long, okay? Think about that food, right? What you're looking forward to. Like, whatever it is you're about to eat was once a living organism that had to die so that you could have life. Either it was a plant that was uprooted from the ground and torn from its life source, or an animal of some kind. Now, we've come up with these artificial things that aren't really good for us, right? They kind of preserve life a little longer than it should. But there's this death and resurrection reality to the, how we even live, right? That things have to die in order for other things to live. And we've been separated from that because we don't live on farms as often anymore. But what we eat is tied to a cycle of death and resurrection in the world. What you'll eat later today, something had to die so that you could go on living. The death of one living thing for the life of another, cycle of death and resurrection. Or think about uh, just a calendar year, for instance, right? Every fall we can depend on this, at least in Texas. There's other places not so much, right? But we know the, the leaves are going to fall in fall, right? And, and, and trees are going to die at least for a season, and there's going to be winter, right? And, and you don't have to cut your grass, which is great for a season, but eventually you're going to have to turn the sprinklers back on, right? Because things are going to start to grow again. Right now we're seeing flowers that are blossoming. We're seeing trees that are springing forth to life again. This is the rhythm of the universe, of creation from the very beginning. Death gives way to resurrection. We can trust it. We can count on it, and we do. Or even our bodies. Our bodies have this rhythm of death and resurrection. Listen to this. The cells in our bodies right now are dying at a rate of 300 million cells 
every single hour. And they're being refurbished, renewed at the same rate. Uh, You lose 50 to 150 strands of hair every single day. Now, that's an average. I know some of us are done losing hair, right? But you get the idea, right? I mean, these things go away, and for at least a season, they grow back, right? You shed 10 billion flakes of skin every day. And this dead skin that we shed makes up 90% of household dust, which makes you want to go home and vacuum, right? Every 28 days, you get completely new skin, and every nine years, your entire body is renewed. Our bodies are an example of death and resurrection. So when someone asks me, Colin, wait a minute, you're, you're telling me you are staking your life on the belief that some guy named Jesus who lived in Nazareth died and he was resurrected from the dead. My response is, well, yes, because we all depend on this reality, right? Not just Jesus, but this rhythm of death and resurrection that gives us life, one thing that dies so that we can have our life renewed. And this death and life mystery, this mechanism, this process, is built into the very fabric of creation. Death and resurrection is happening all day and every day. It's not odd. It's not a crazy new idea. It's the story the universe has been shouting since the very beginning of time. It is still a leap of faith to believe in Jesus. But all of us are making a leap, as we discovered earlier. And I'm choosing to make the leap in favor of resurrection. I have experienced resurrection in my own life. I know who I was, and I know God's making me new. All of us have had that experience to some degree, right? We know who we've been. We know the mistakes we've made. God is always in the process of death and resurrection. The resurrection has changed everything. It's made it possible for us to be forgiven by God, this whole cycle as well. That death is not the end for those who are in Christ Jesus. Death has been defeated. That's what we celebrate today. But the resurrection is also an invitation that we have into a certain kind of life. And that's what I want to challenge and invite you into as we spend our last few minutes in this message today. I want to invite you into this rhythm of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that we've talked about in the series of death, of burial, and resurrection. So what does it look like to to accept God's invitation to die to our old lives? Well, earlier today, as I mentioned, we had a baptism. And I love the imagery of baptism because what baptism does is it, it retells, it re-narrates the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So when Dominic went into the waters of baptism, what he was saying was, I'm dying to my old self. That person is, is gone, not to be remembered. And then I'm going to be raised to new life. And so when we come up out of the waters, we're raised with a new power, the Holy Spirit at work within us, and we're, we're cleansed of our sin and we raised to new life. This is how Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. Romans Chapter 6, Romans 6, beginning in verse 3, listen to these words. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we'll, uh, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Good news, right? Because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. When we're dunked into the waters of baptism, it represents a death. It's an experience of Friday, but we are raised up and we are raised into resurrection. 
raised to a new kind of life. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer who we are. We're becoming who God longs for us most to be. But here's the reality, church. You cannot get to Sunday without Friday. There is no such thing as a resurrection until there's a death. And so for some of you this morning, what I want to invite you into is a Friday. Because you've never really put to death those things in your past. You've never really given that old life away and said, I'm I'm done with this piece. I'm ready to step into new life. All of us experience this death and resurrection cycle and transitions in our lives. Every transition has this phase to it, doesn't it? It has a a death. It's an ending to something. There's an in-between space usually, and then we have a new beginning that emerges on the other side of every transition. Think about it in terms of this, right? I mean, got all kinds of ways we could point to this. Some of you have walked through job transition recently. And with every job transition, there's an ending that has to come, right? Some of it we don't choose. Sometimes we do choose. But there's an ending that comes. And if we move into the new phase, even if it's a great job, everything seems better about the new one, if you don't mourn what has been lost with what was before, even, even the worst of things, even, even the firing that may have happened, if you don't mourn that, if you don't grieve that, it's amazing how that will reappear as you step into the new thing. How many of us take baggage with us from old experiences and then we live with them in the new? We aren't able to fully embrace what's next. Some of us need to live into an ending. We need to grieve that. We need to mourn what's been before. Uh, For some of us, it's a phase of life that we've seen a transition in, right? Uh, Maybe uh, you're, you're newly engaged and you're about to move into a step of marriage. I know it sounds strange to mourn the single life, but there's a sense in which what you're coming forward to, as exciting as it may be, there are things that are lost that you have to mourn, you grieve. You, you walk through the past stage of life and you step into the new, ready to receive what's there. Some of you are, have kids who may be seniors this year, right? Sorry, get the tear box, you know, the tissues out, right? But sending the kids off is, is a huge step, right? It's, it's, it's saying goodbye to a phase of your life that was a sweet phase of life in so many ways. But if you don't mourn that, if you don't let that go, it's amazing how you can't step into the new phase that's ahead of you. Some of you, it's a, it's a struggle. It's an addiction. It's a sin struggle. And, and if you don't have an ending to something, it's amazing how you see the cycle just continue again and again. I've been there. How do you say no? How do you walk through that? There's got to be an ending. There's got to be a death. That's what baptism does is it frees us to a new life and says, Goodbye to the old. There's all kinds of transitions that happen in our lives. The only way you step into the new life, into the Sunday, into the resurrection, is if you're able to put to death, to grieve, to mourn, to put away those things in the past. So some of you today, I want to encourage you. Take that step. That that long grief that you haven't fully let go, hand it over to God again. That, That sin that you can't seem to get rid of, believe again that God can can make that the past. There's nothing you've ever done that is a bigger thing than the grace of God that can cover that. Nothing you can do can take you away from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you're repentant of those things, if you put those things to death, God forgives the guilt of our sin no matter what. It's an amazing gift, isn't it? What Easter Sunday is all about. But, but for others of you, it may not be so much leaning into Friday. It may mean that you need to lean into Sunday. I want to invite and challenge others of you. It may, you may say, I, I know what Friday's like. I've done that. It's just hard for me to believe that things could be better in the future. I want to invite you to believe in the story of death and resurrection because behind every death, in the story of God, there's a third day. Third day stories are all throughout Scripture. God gives an ending that's different. Even if it's 
the second coming of Jesus and forgiveness and eternity. That's the, the promise that all of us have, no matter if it's in this life or the next. So for some of us, what we do is we, we have these hard experiences and we stop having hope that things can be different. And so we begin to numb ourselves. We numb ourselves with substances. We numb ourselves with all kinds of ways in our lives that we don't have to feel fully what Friday is. And then we lose hope that things can be better. We drown our lives in this kind of numbness. What we think is I'm selectively numbing things in, our, in my life when I do that. But you can't selectively numb. You numb everything in your life when you numb the hard stuff. You also numb the joy that's there on the other side. But for others of us, it's, it's really just cynicism that pops up. And what is cynicism in reality, right? Cynicism is living as if you have more wisdom, not having hope for the future, but denying the pain that comes up when we have hope, because hope always disappoints, doesn't it? And so it's this wisdom that says, well, you know, I don't want to raise my hopes again because hope just leads to disappointment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to everyone who's younger than me, you know, you can try it, but it's going to turn out poorly. And when that opportunity comes up, you don't step into the opportunity because you know, well, if I get my hopes up again, then I'm going to be a failure again, and I can't take that one more time. So cynicism is this arm's length that we keep from every bit of hope in our lives, and we, we use it to defend ourselves from future disappointment. So some of you are living in Fridays, and you're living in Saturdays, and what you haven't realized is there is hope, even if in the past it hasn't worked out. God brings new beginnings. It happens all the time. Talking with someone after second service who works in our ministry, volunteers in our ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And I'm telling you, if you want to see hope, if you want to see Sundays, go on Wednesday nights to Celebrate Recovery. Because what they see every single week are deaths that are happening, of stopping the denial process and realizing that new hope is possible within community to walk through steps. There's all kinds of ministries and ways that I see this happening in our world. I want, you, I want to point you to Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, open there with me if you would. I want to show you that hope should be the response of those of us who've trusted in death and resurrection. This is Romans 5, verse 1, the words of Paul. Listen to this. For those that are walking through a Friday right now, a a bit of suffering, I hope this will provide you hope. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace into which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Listen closely. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see the progression here? For a lot of us, suffering signals the end. No more hope. We know what it is to have a Friday. All of us have had that experience. So we enter into suffering and we think, man, this is too hard to go through again. And so I'm just going to find ways not to walk through suffering again. Stop walking into new opportunities. Stop getting my hopes up all over again. I'm just going to live kind of a numb existence. Because it's easier to do that than experience the pain that I felt. But what Paul says is, he, and this is a guy who knew suffering, right? He'd been through all kinds of things. What he says is, suffering produces perseverance. How many of you can say that, right? You've been through suffering. You found out on the other side you could live through it. You could find your way to the other side. So you persevere through that suffering. And once you develop perseverance, it's amazing how character is developed out of that, right? 
you persevere through the struggle and you find out, wait, I'm, I'm stronger than I thought I was. The Holy Spirit at work within me produces a whole new kind of hope. And that's exactly what emerges next, right? It's hope. The problem is if you stall out in suffering, you'll never experience hope. What Paul says is, I've been through all this. I've suffered all these things. I can brag and brag about all the sufferings I've experienced, but I trust the God who brings resurrection. So for some of you, it may be that hard step that goes, I'm going to persevere through this. God, help me as I take that step to, to, to perseverance, to one more try, I'm trying to get back on it, trying to do the right thing. And then what you find out of perseverance is that character develops and, and you're a changed person. Isn't this how story works? There's conflict and then God changes the character through the conflict. Every good movie goes through this transition. And out of that develops hope. So for those of you that are walking through a Friday or Saturday, let me encourage you, step out of your cynicism. Step out of those numbing techniques that kind of just say, well, this is the end, this is how it'll be. Trust that your story is a third-day story. Like I talked about last week, it, it's hard to have hope on Saturday. None of those apostles, disciples, none of them believed that Jesus was rising from the dead. They were all going to the tomb assuming he was still going to be there. But they come and they show up, and what they find is that God does death and resurrection. It's true of the seasons, isn't it? It's true of seeds that are planted in the ground. Some of you need to plant seeds in the ground this week. People are going to ridicule you. They're going to say, well, nothing's coming up from that seed. You take enough time, you take enough nurture of that. Grass is not greener somewhere else. The grass is greener where you plant seeds and where you water it, where you care and nurture that ground. My encouragement to you today is trust this rhythm of death and resurrection. It was true in the first century. It's true in every day in our lives. It's what God specializes in. He doesn't waste a hurt. He can take anything you've been in and He can transform it for His glory. Sometimes it's really hard because the perseverance stuff is hard, the character stuff is hard, but on the other side of that tomb is resurrection. So I entrust you this story, a story that's been told for thousands of years, a story that's still true and it's true in my life and I know it's true for many of you. Trust it. For some of you, it's stepping into Friday and letting things die, but for others of you, it's, it's planting that seed in water, seeing what God does pray as we close our, our time together. God, we, we thank you so much for this story. We believe it happened. We believe it was an actual event that changed the course of human history. God, uh, I pray you'd fill us with faith today. That you'd let us be seed planting people. The trust that with the right conditions and with you and your spirit at work in our lives that resurrection still happen today. God, we don't thank you for the troubles necessarily, but we thank you for what you do through that, what you form in us. And God, there's some people right now who've had some serious pain in their lives in this room. And they don't know if it's worth praying to you again because they've been disappointed before. God, one more time, we plant seeds again. We ask that you would bring forth sprouts, that you would take seeds that go into the ground and you would bear many more. Pray for future generations that are longing for us to plant seeds now so they can see the growth. God, may we start in our day, in our age, new forests of trees that are firmly planted by streams of water that grow up to provide fruit for future seasons and future generations. God, I thank you for what you do, the way you bring life, and you bring death out of it. 
We pray all this, God, in the name of Jesus.